Happy Sunday, church. How are we doing? Awesome. Hey, my name is Cody Wason. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I say it every week. I'm excited to be here with y'all. I'm excited every time we gather as a church to celebrate Jesus. A uh, couple things before we jump in uh, to tonight's message. First and foremost, I just want to honor my wife, who is the biggest champion of everyone and everything, and she's hollering with excitement at all these announcements that roll through, and, and we're just trying to build a little momentum here, build a little movement. So just on Kate's behalf, feel free, if you see an announcement you like, maybe give a holler. When we talk about Antioch women, if you're a woman, give a little shout. She's up here building it, and we believe that you will come and join us in the celebration. What's that? No booing. Yes, just, just celebrating. Uh, one other quick thing. Uh, you might have noticed in the lobby, but I just want to draw attention to the fact that we've got uh, a team going to Cambodia to join uh, with our home, our orphan home over there, in a little over two months, or a little over or under, or somewhere. Yeah, that's worth celebrating. Let's go. You guys are doing great. Um, in the lobby, um, right out the back door there, they are they're, uh, got a few fundraisers going. So go check that out. They've got a board with envelopes on it. Uh, that they're, if they get every one of those envelopes, if you take one and you commit to giving that amount, they're going to be mostly covered for their entire team. They're selling shirts. They're selling hats. I think I even saw scones. So they've got it all out there. On your way out, stop by there and support the team going to Cambodia. And lastly, I just want to take a second before uh, I, I, I jump into the message tonight uh, to just bring you guys in on a little Wasting Family update. So, uh, and I realized too late, uh, maybe next week I'm going to bring a, a, a photo of my family, because um, maybe you don't know who my kids are or my wife is every time I talk about them, but um, a little waste and family update for you. So, uh, again, the amazing Kate, one, she's going to get a lot of honor here tonight, but not nearly enough uh, that she deserves. But uh, about 18 months ago, um, she gave birth to our son, Shepard, and it was quite an incredible moment. <laughs> Um, for all parties involved. Uh, it was magical, and it was, it was birth. And um, that's all I'll say. And I didn't even know this was, was possible. If we needed another reason to, to know uh, that women are like superheroes, um, when Shepard was born, he broke Kate's tailbone. Didn't know that was a thing. Didn't know that happened, but apparently it does. And so these last 18 months have been quite a health journey for Kate. Uh, in the first few months after he was born, uh, she went and saw doctors that were telling her, um, we don't know why you're in so much pain. Uh, everything looks pretty normal. Nothing really happened. And just kind of like, sorry you're in pain. You just gave birth. That's kind of normal. Good luck. And over the next few months, um, chiropractors and acupuncture and physical therapy and nothing was working. Uh, she went into a uh, I think it was for like three months, three times a week, physical therapy regimen, and at the end of that, she was worse than ever. The pain was getting worse, and so about three months ago, um, the, or maybe two, three months ago, the pain just took a real nosedive and just started getting really bad, and she was on a lot of medication, and she finally found a specialist um, that was kind of a, had, had, had uh, dealt with this issue a lot before, and and anyways, uh, about two months ago, um, he, I was actually in Mexico when it happened, but uh, they, she sits down in the doctor's office, and he looks at her, and he goes, I know why you're in so much pain. 
your tailbone is broken, and it's been broken the whole time, and it's arthritic. And she was in tears probably and thankful, and, but for the last 18 months, she's been doing life on a broken tailbone. Every time she sat down, every time she laid down, every time she tried to pick up the kids, it was, it was on a broken tailbone. And so uh, we started exploring what our next options were as the... Um, as her health has continued to decrease and, and the pain has increased. And uh, all, all the story has kind of culminated in about a month from now, on May 24th, uh, Kate's going to have surgery. Now, I didn't know that a childbirth could break your tailbone. I didn't know that the medical community had figured out that you could just take your tailbone out. So she's having surgery next month, and they're removing her tailbone. Um, and, and we're believing that that is going to be the end of the 18-month saga of pain. And so... Yes, okay. Hey, yeah, yeah, let's go. Hey, so really just two reasons I want to tell you. One, I just want to brag on my wife. I mean, she's here. She's sitting right here, and if, if, if it were me, and I, this was month 18 of living life on a broken bone, um, I would be in bed right now. But she isn't, and she, she's, been, she's been present. Most of you, if you don't, aren't like best friends with Kate, you, you probably didn't even know. And that's not because Kate's been putting on a brave face. That's not because she's been trying to fake it. Uh, that's just because she has pushed through for 18 months. And, and every time, uh, to, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm the lead pastor here. I tried to get her to stay home from church tonight. I said, stay home and rest. You're in pain. And, she, and her heart was, no, I want to be there. I want to I I see people. I love the church. I love this family. I want them to see me, and I want to see them. And, and she's amazing. Um, but it's time for us to stop uh, living in the season of surviving and move to thriving. So I want to bring you in and just let you know to be praying for us. We've got about a month left of just um, intense pain medication, making it through day by day until the surgery. Surgery is going to be a tricky recovery. Um, and then we're believing that it's going to be uh, healed and we'll be able to move forward. And this will be the end of this chapter. On a practical note, I just want to let you know, you won't see uh, me for about three weeks after the surgery. So the first three Sundays in June, I'm stepping away to be with her, to help her in her recovery. So you'll hear a little bit about where we're going in this next series. You'll, get a, you'll, you'll be hearing from an amazing guest speaker that you guys love and will be blessed by, but I won't be here. As, that's why, because I'm home with her, taking care of Kate. So join me as I pray for the amazing Kate Wason. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you're a healer. We thank you that doctors may not know, but you know exactly what's going on in her body. We thank you that, that you uh, paid a high price that she might be healed. And Lord, we just call on you as healer. And we say whatever needs to be made right in her body, would it be made right? Whatever needs to be made straight, would it be made straight? And I pray wisdom over the doctors. I pray, I just pray with finality that this would be the end, that no more. That as 18 months have dragged on and the, that sense that this is going to be my forever has crept in and would creep into anyone's heart and mind, we reject that in the name of Jesus. We say pain is not her portion. We thank you for the way she's laid down her life for her family and this church family. And we pray healing and blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Whew, I like getting to do that for my wife. Praise God. Okay. All right. Man, Easter was amazing. I don't, I don't know how many of y'all were able to gather with us at the Rose or wherever you guys were last week, but always one of my favorite Sundays, just getting everyone under one roof and talking about Jesus. Oh, it's the best. Uh, it, I don't know how it was for you. Uh, maybe we need to have a talk. 
Um, but for me, from where I was sitting, where I was standing, loved gathering with you guys. Easter was powerful. And at the end of that message, I kind of alluded to where we're going next. I alluded to what's, what the, the series we're going to jump into tonight is looking at if you turn the page, if you turn the story from the Easter story, what's next? And how do we play our part in that story? Where do we find ourselves in the story? Now, I'm excited. I almost don't want to tell you this uh, straight out because I think even, uh, people might tune me out, but, but just don't. So don't tune me out. But we're going to talk about the church. And I love the church. I love the local church. I get up here and I'm excited to be a part of the local church. Unapologetically, it changed my life. Unapologetically believed that the local church, being who she's called to be, is the hope of the world. And we get to be that. We get to do that tonight. We're going to talk about the next uh, chapter in the story after Easter, after the empty grave, is the birth of this thing we call the church. Tonight we're going to talk about how did it start, why did it start, and how does that impact us here in Salt Lake City. So if you would, for just a second, let's go back to the Easter story. Actually, let's zoom out a little bit further. Let's, let's just talk about where we've been as a church, uh, basically 2019. We spent several months talking about the kingdom, talking about the idea of the kingdom that Jesus, well, in his life and ministry, was here to establish the kingdom of God. We talked for maybe longer than you would like. We had a series called We the Kingdom, talking about what does it mean to be a part of the kingdom that Jesus established. That led us into, we did a quick three-week series on relationships. What do relationships look like in the kingdom? How can we do them with a kingdom mindset? And that took us to Easter. And we celebrated Palm Sunday, and then we celebrated last week, Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. So put your mind for a second in the, in the mind of, of those disciples. They've walked with Jesus. They fell in love with Jesus. This Jesus that's modeling the kingdom, who's, who during his life, he's, he's performing miracles. He's setting people free. He's not the normal teacher or preacher or prophet or, or, or anything, he, or rabbi. He, he's different. There's something different. And, and the disciples have fallen in love with him. And there's this question starts to ponder in their heart, could he really be the one? Is he really the Messiah? Is he really fully God, fully man? Is, is he our Savior? Is he come to set us free? And then Good Friday happens. And those disciples that had fallen in love with Jesus, in the blink of an eye, he's betrayed. In the blink of an eye, he's, he's decreed and he's, he, he's executed and he's, he's hung on a, on a tree and he's die, dying and dead. And you're a disciple. You're someone that had fallen in love with him, had walked with him for three years. You thought he was going to be the one. You didn't understand everything he said. You didn't understand every story, every parable. But there, you stood looking at Jesus and you thought, is this really the end? Did we miss it? Is this really the Messiah? Is this really, is this really him? And then can you imagine that immense question and insecurity and sadness being trumped Sunday morning? As you realize, as you find out the tomb's empty, and he really did defeat sin, and he really did defeat the grave, and he did, really did walk out. And oh my gosh, every, the things he would, had been saying during his ministry start flooding into your mind, and you're starting to realize, wait, he, he was, he, he's it. We were right. He, he did it. He's God. And he's man, and he died, and he rose again. He's defeated. Like, he can do it. He did it. He can do anything. And, and that's, our, that's, that's the Jesus that I fell in love with. 
and I gave my life up for, and I left my family, and I left my friends, and I left my job, and, and he's it. He did it. We see on, on, on Resurrection Sunday, we, we love talking about the empty grave, but we don't really have time to talk about anything else. What happened next? So the grave's empty, and the women that came to, to, to put spices on the body come, and they tell the disciples, they tell those that had been following him, he's risen. Well, what's the next part of the story? The next part of the story is that Jesus shows up in his resurrected body, and he starts spending time with those disciples, with those loved ones, for a little over a month. For 40 days. Okay, just, just think about it for a second. You're a, you're, you're a disciple. Jesus has risen again. He is fully God. He's done it. He's God. He's the one. You were right. All your friends that thought you were crazy for following him, you were right. Look what he did. He can do it all. He can do anything. And now you're, you're just, the next 40 days, the Bible says that Jesus in his resurrected body just went and showed himself to the disciples and showed himself because we're people and we're lame and we need proof over and over. And so for 40 days, Jesus is just walking around. It's me. Touch me. Feel me. Talk to me. I, I really did it. I really did it. And for 40 days, there's the euphoria of he did it. He did it. And then we find this scene at the, the beginning of the book of Acts, which is the next story after the Gospels conclude. The next book of the Bible is the book of Acts. And we find this small group of believers, the disciples and those that, those that were with Jesus in his ministry. They're hanging out with resurrected king. They're sharing a meal. And I just want to pause before we jump into the, the Scripture here for a second because here's the reality, and you're going to see this come, come uh, to, to, to fruition in this passage. But I just want to zoom out really quick and say, remember that the Jewish people, the ones that had been waiting, the people of God that were waiting for their Messiah. Remember when he rode in on Palm Friday on a donkey and everyone was a little confused? Because they've been waiting for a king. They've been waiting for someone to restore the people of God, the nation of Israel. They've been waiting for a new kingdom with a new king, with a new army, with a new wall, with a new temple. They've been waiting to overthrow Rome. They've been, that's what they've been waiting for. And it hasn't happened. So for 40 days, that little question has been creeping up in their mind. When's he going to do it? We get, like, we get it. You, you beat sin. You beat the grave. Now, when are you going to build a kingdom? When are you going to restore us? And once again, Jesus doesn't do what we think he's going to do. Let's jump into Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And here they go, here we go. The, the disciples totally missed it again. Then they gathered around Jesus and they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? We've been with you for 40 days. We love the stories. We see the wounds. Now we're ready for what's next. We're ready to be a part of restoring Israel. We're ready to be a part of that new kingdom. We're ready to be a part of that new army. We're ready to overthrow Rome. Let's do it. And Jesus just totally sidesteps them. It's not for you to know the times and dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. You're a disciple. What just happened? What just happened? The, the Jesus that hung on the cross and that actually did it, that actually won, that actually beat death, that actually came back from the dead, that actually conquered sin uh, and has hung out with you for 40 days. And you've been waiting for him to say, okay, guys, let's, let's get all the food off the table. Let's get the map of Jerusalem. Let's get the map of Rome. Let's get our strategy. Let's go recruit people. Let's do this. And that Jesus looks at you and says, don't worry about when that's going to happen. But here's the, here's the deal. You're going to get the Spirit. And the Spirit's going to come on you in power. And you're going to be my witness. And then he leaves. Can you imagine the confusion, the disappointment, the discouragement as Jesus is gone and he's not coming back in, the, in his physical body? So there we're left with, with the few, with the 12 that had given their whole life up for Jesus and now he's gone. And he's given them some weird instructions. Just say in Jerusalem, and that spirit that I promised, it'll come. That's all they've got to go on. A few days later, those few 12, in the, and we're not sure exactly how many uh, were, were with Jesus in the time uh, after his resurrection. The Bible, uh, uh, Paul says later in, in Scripture that uh, Jesus showed himself to over 500. Who, who was sitting with him at that dinner when he left? How many? Probably more like 12. And those 12 make their way to Jerusalem. They stay in Jerusalem. They be obedient. Jesus said, stay. And it's almost like God knows like timelines better than you and I. It's almost like he knows what he's doing. Because what's happening a few days later, there's this festival for the Jewish people. It's like their spring festival. And I, festival might be a little loose of a term. I heard one, one preacher say it like this one day. It was kind of like, if you picture it, it was like Mardi Gras. Now, I don't know about the debauchery that has become or is or was, or, but like, it wasn't like they were all just sitting around eating and having a festival. Like, it was a party. And Jews from all over the world, wherever they had scattered to, come back to celebrate this festival. And it's at this moment that these 12 are sitting in this room, and they don't know what they're doing. They're just sitting there. Jesus said, stay. And suddenly, the, the promise that he made, Jesus makes good on his promise. He sends the Holy Spirit, and things get really weird really quick. And that suddenly, those few that had been waiting for the Holy Spirit, it comes on them, and it comes on them in power. And, and people that are seeing it start saying, it looks like their tongues are on fire, and they're speaking languages that they don't know. And all of a sudden, all these people that have gathered for this festival, that are walking up and down the street, they start hearing the gospel being preached in their own, they start hearing in their own language, in their own tongue, the story of Jesus, and they start to gather around, and people start to get confused, and they don't know what's happening, and they think they're drunk, and they think that it's weird and it's crazy, and out of that moment in time, sweet little Peter stands up. Sweet little fisherman Peter, who denied Jesus. Who, I mean, we're talking about Peter, who like a week earlier was like trying to convince people he didn't know who Jesus was. That Peter stands up and empowered by the Holy Spirit, gives the first sermon, the first gospel presentation to be ever given by any man not named Jesus, and 3,000 people believe the message, and the church is born. 
The church was, was started in the weirdest way, the most unassuming way, the craziest way. The church began, and if you weren't looking for it, you probably would have missed it. So many people did miss it because so many people were waiting for a new Jerusalem, a new temple. They were waiting for Jesus to establish a new place of worship. But in the gospel, it says that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn. So Jesus died, and what did, he do? what did he purchase? He purchased a lot of things for you and me, but one of the things he purchased, the temple, let's just do a little story here on the temple. So there's a thing in the temple called the Holy of Holies. That's where the presence of God resided. It was so powerful and it was so pure that it, it was confined at this time before Jesus' sacrifice to an inner room, an inner chamber of the temple that only one person, only one type of person was allowed to enter. Can you imagine? Only one type of person was allowed to be in the presence of God until Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Then he dies on the cross and there's a veil. And I'm not going to go into all the metrics of the veil, but it was not like a wedding veil. It was like a, a multi-foot thick curtain, taller than this building, that separated the rooms of the temple, that kept people out of the Holy of Holies, and that thing ripped in two while Jesus died on the cross. And here's the, the weird thing about us humans. Sometimes we just don't get it. All those people that saw that, that heard that, that walked past the temple in the days that followed and looked and saw the torn veil. Those people were believing that if Jesus really is the Messiah, he's going to build me a new temple. He's going to build a new building. But can I, like, Jesus was not interested, and he is not interested in building what he spent a lot of time and a lot of blood and a lot of tears tearing apart. He's not interested in another temple. He wasn't interested in building a new place. He wanted a people. The church was built on people. It wasn't built the way people thought it would, which would be a building, a location, and a city, and a kingdom. We are the church. Can, I, can, I, can you say we are the church? Now, that like, sounds like really weird, and don't worry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about, like, we are not the only church. Just, to, just so you know, we're going to get there. But just... Okay, hold on. Let's just look at the way Paul says it a few books later in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul describes uh, uh, the church this way. I think it's beautiful. Ephesians 2 verse 17. He, meaning Jesus, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Okay, let me explain why this is beautiful to me. Here's what this is saying. First off, it's the gospel. But it's saying that Jesus, he preached the gospel of peace to you who were near. To all the people that thought that they had it figured out. To all the people that grew up going to church. To all the people that have been to every Bible camp, that know every Bible story. To every person that has an amazing family, that grew up in the faith. To those that are near, that think they've got it figured out. He preached peace to you. 
Because you've got to make it personal. He preached peace to those who are far. He preached peace to those in the room that, that don't have a, a close orbit to the church. That didn't grow up around God who probably maybe grew up in an unhealthy place uh, uh, and at least viewed God as a, uh, uh, and the church in a way of, of, why would I ever want to be around them? Why would I ever want to be around Him? There's no way that, that that's for me. Those that are far, He preached peace to you. What this is saying, it's, an, it's, a, it's a level playing field. The gospel, once again, is a level playing field. It doesn't matter whether you're in the room tonight and you're like, like you could get up here and tell us every book of the Bible in chronological order and all the stories and all the songs and all the badges that clubs give and all the things. It doesn't matter if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't even want to be here right now. This feels weird. Look, it talks about you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Have you ever been to a foreign land? Have you ever gone overseas? You know what the hardest part is? You don't know the language. Maybe you're sitting in the room tonight and you're like, I don't know how to speak church. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how all these people, like I walk past them, they've been doing it their whole life, and they got this thing down, and they know how to talk the language, and they know how to shake the hand, and they know how to say, God bless, and they know how to do this and that, and I don't know how to do that. I don't speak church. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, fellow citizens, members of the household built on the foundation of the apostles and the teachers Jesus Christ at the chief, as the chief cornerstone. And here's the deal. In him, this whole building, this whole thing that's being built together by people who were near, people who were far, people who speak the language and people who don't, this thing that he's knitting together rises to become a holy temple. It's a living, breathing, holy church that we're a part of. And here's the crazy thing. He chose to build his church with people like you and me. He chose to build his church on people that are still in process, still figuring out what it looks like to think like heaven, to act like heaven, to talk like heaven, to love like heaven. We're still figuring it out, and yet he chose us to be the church. He chose us to be the ones that he handed over the next chapter of the story to. He chose a messy people to display the gospel to a messy world for the glory of God. And as we spend the next nine weeks, here we go, that was all the intro. So the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts, the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts we're going to walk through. And here's the reality. When you look at the book of Acts, when you look at the the story of this thing called the church being birthed, it's messy. That's why we named this series, Things Just Got Messy. Because here's the deal. Peter preaches that first sermon, 3,000 come. They've got the first church ever established, and they didn't go buy a building. And they didn't start a bunch of ministries. You read the story of the church, and like we have this idea that, that church is like really clean, and it's really uh, like like we 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 we. I mean, look at the space we're in. The, the ceiling has lights. I mean, I mean, all ceilings, most ceilings have lights. I mean, these like, I don't know what do you call those? No, not chandeliers. The the LED lights on the ceiling, y'all. That's not normal. I understand that lights are in the ceiling. Okay, back to. Whoops. We got it really good. We got this really cool event center. We've got a whole building for our children. The bathrooms are like really bougie. Like this place is awesome. And we can get caught up and miss that that, that church wasn't about being clean and, and sterile. It wasn't about having nice buildings and nice venues and nice social medias. It, like 
nice social media is like a nice social media account. I'm really, I'm doing great, guys. Stick with me. Here's what we're going to read as we start reading through the book of Acts. We're going to read the story of this church that comes together. And in the second chapter, we read about this church that's like fully devoted to one another. We're going to talk about that. Are we fully devoted to each other? And they're talking about they're fully devoted to the mission, the, the person of Jesus. They're, 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 they're going to church. They're meeting at home to home. They're eating lots of food together. We're going to talk about that. I think we ought to eat some food together. And it's biblical. And, so, and then they're hanging out. They're doing all this stuff. People are being added to their numbers daily. And if you stop in Acts chapter 2, you're like, the church is, is crushing it. Like, first, I think Matt Chandler said, first Baptist Jerusalem. Like, they got it figured out. Like, they... <laughs> They are crushing it. But if you just keep reading a little bit, it gets really messy. People start, like, getting stoned. People start getting really angry that this church is here. People start dying. People start getting scattered. All sorts of things start happening. It gets really messy. And I think we miss the power of church when we reduce it down to a really clean building and a really cool ministry and a really trendy church. We miss it. Okay, so church is messy, and here's a question for you. We're in this thing together. Are you okay if our church gets a little messy? Like, are you okay? But we don't do messy for messiness sake. We don't do messy to say we're messy. We don't do broken uh, uh, processing to say we're doing it. We, We do it in the context of Scripture. In the context of Scripture, church, being the hands and feet of Jesus and living on mission is messy, but the mission is clear. So here we go. Here's the mission. We go back to the mission. As we look through the next nine weeks at this, the, 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 the early church starting, you're going to see a lot of things. You're going to see a lot of really sad things, a lot of confusing things, a lot of beautiful things. But in all things, it's messy, but the mission is clear. The church is thriving today. We are are sitting and standing here today because the church back then and the church to this day has been centered around a clear mission. The person of Jesus and the mission that he gave his people. It's not about temples and cathedrals and holy lands and event centers. It's not about when we meet or how we meet or where we meet. It's about the mission. Here we go. Here's the mission. Go tell people about Jesus. The Holy Spirit's going to come in power, and you're going to be my witness pretty much everywhere. If you summarize Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth, pretty much everywhere. Our mission is to preach peace to those who are far and those who are near. To be a place where people can come encounter Jesus, hear the gospel, be given a chance to respond. To be a church that makes disciples and equips disciples to live the mission that Jesus has commissioned all of us to live. When you boil church down, There's all sorts of expressions. There's all sorts of styles. There's all sorts of ways. The mission is clear. Preach the gospel. Do what Jesus did. As he built the church, 
He did it by preaching peace to those who were far and those who were near. To the foreigners and the strangers, the people that feel like they could never walk in church, preach peace to them. To the religious, to the people in the city that think they've got religion down to a science, preach peace to them. Preach the gospel. Make Jesus known. Make disciples. Equip disciples. And continue the mission. Can I say that still remains, that that was the mission of the church of 40 days after Jesus rose from the grave, it's the same mission of Antioch Salt Lake City today. To be a church that's okay with it being a little messy. That's okay. Like, I hear, can I just be honest? Like, I, and I'm not like greasing the wheels for an announcement here, by the way. Like, I'm not about to tell you we're like moving to a park. But what if we did? I, some, sometimes I wonder, what if we did? What if we said, hey, next week, we don't have a church building anymore. We'll see you at Liberty Park. If it rains, bring an umbrella. The mission stays the same. This is, I don't know how long we're going to have this. I, this is awesome, but it's not church. This building is not church. You and I, loving Jesus, being disciples and being disciple makers, that's the church. All right, I'm going to take a left turn here. I got five minutes left. You all with me for a left turn? Okay. So, so I don't really know my grandparents. I've, I prefaced the left turn. You guys cannot be upset. So I don't like, and my mom listens to every message. I love you, mom. I love you so much. I'm sorry. But I don't know. Like, I didn't grow up around my grandparents. Uh, I, mom, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't know uh, if they're all passed away or not. They are? They are all Okay. I just, I, I did not grow up in a family that was, we, we were not close with our grandparents. We didn't live by them. We didn't live near them. I went and visited them a few times when I was a kid, but we didn't have relationship. I don't know where you fall with, like, your grandparents. I, I didn't know my grandparents. I definitely have no idea about my great-grandparents. To be honest, my last name's Wason. I have no idea where it comes from. I've Googled it. It doesn't lead anywhere. Like, I do not know where I'm from. But here's the deal. I might not know my grandparents, but I am a living legacy. My, the, my family has DNA, and it runs deep. Now, it doesn't run so deep that Jesus can't get his hands on it and can't break off generational curses and can't set families in new paths. But here's the deal. You think about it for a second. Like, I'm married into a family that has a lot of traditions. They make up words, I'm pretty sure, that are not real words. Um, they are, they are like multi-generational, multi-generational, multi-generational Texans. Like, like we could follow that. We drive around in Texas, and it's like, there's the high school named after my granddad, and there's that, and there's that. And I'm like, wow, I couldn't tell you my granddad's name. But it's different, right? But you can think about some way, some of, something you do in your life is, is because of your family. You've got some weird holiday tradition. You've got some outlook on life. You've got some way you look at how you do life. Somewhere, somehow, your family has impacted your life. You might not know them. We're a part of a family. We're a part of a church family. Now stick with me in these next nine weeks because we're going to end where Antioch is introduced in the Bible. Some of you all didn't even know it was in the Bible. I know that because some of you all do not know how to say it. And that's okay. It's a weird word. Say it with me. Antioch. 
Okay, I still heard it wrong. Antioch. All right, no, Antioch. Antioch. You know what? I don't say it however you want. That's not important. I'm really off base here. But we're a part of a church family that has DNA. Now, let me, let me preface this right now. The Antioch family, the Antioch tribe, we do not worship Antioch. We do not worship the name of Antioch. We don't view, hear it from me. Antioch is not the best church, the only way to do church. We don't have church figured out. We're not the right church, the best church. We are a part of the Big C Church. We are a part of that living, breathing organism called the church that every human on this planet that calls on the name of Jesus and Jesus alone is a part of that church. And every church that worships Jesus and Jesus alone is a part of that church, okay? And we're a part. Antioch is just an apart. It's just an expression. But man, I love my family's DNA. I love, now you guys might not know some of our DNA, especially if this is your first time. Welcome to Antioch. <laughs> But 20 years ago, a group of people got together and said, we want to live this thing out. We want to live this thing called the church for real. We want to read the book of Acts, believe it, and live it. We want to be all about making disciples in our city and around the world. We want to worship Jesus and make him famous. And they gathered in a little small town that was not popular at the town, uh, time called Waco, Texas. And in this little town called Waco, Texas, this group of people went to the leadership of their city and said, where's the worst part of this city? Where's the worst neighborhood? We're talking, where's the neighborhood with the worst crime and the worst literacy rates and the worst graduation rates? Where's that neighborhood? And the city told them, it's right there. And so they went to that neighborhood, and they lived, and they moved into that neighborhood, and they lived in that neighborhood, and they started meeting in their homes. And then there was a, there was a grocery store in that neighborhood that had shut down, and they said, we want that. We're claiming that. That's going to be our church. But they didn't have any money. So they started meeting in the parking lot of that church, and they said, Hey, if you, if you want to come, if you want to, this is where we're having church. If you want to sit down during church, bring a lawn chair. We don't have money for chairs. We don't have money for big productions. We're not, gonna, we don't, we're not here for celebrity pastors and light shows. And we're here to do the mission of the kingdom and what the church was called to do. And out of that little uh, meeting, uh, uh, that group of people that met in that parking lot and just worshiped Jesus and with the hands and feet to their city, we're, we're here today. We're here today gathering worship. All, uh, it's Sunday all around the world from, from, from San Diego to Boston to Seattle to Cape Town, from Indianapolis to Osaka to the Middle East to the Midwest to all over the world. There's the people meeting under the name of Antioch. Now, they're meeting under the name of Jesus. The tribe is Antioch. But I, I hope you're understanding what I'm trying to get here. Our lineage as a family and if you're, uh, again, welcome if this is your first time. You're a part of the family. You get to, this is your inheritance. We're a part of a group of people that from day one have said, we're not in it for our own name. We're not in it to be famous. We're not in it to have mega churches. We're not in it to have light shows and lasers. We're in it for the mission of Jesus in the kingdom. We're in it to see cities changed, neighborhood by neighborhood by neighborhood. We're here to see the name of Jesus proclaimed in the nations of the earth. We're going to be a part of that. That's our family DNA. So again, I just, I say, I invite you to come on this journey. This nine-week journey as we dig into the church and what was the early church all about and what were they not all about and how can we learn from them. But just on the journey for us is Antioch Salt Lake City. Guys, we won't always be in a really nice event center. I, I don't know where we'll be next, but I'll be hard-pressed 
I'll just say this. God can do whatever he wants. He can give us whatever building. He can just hand over check. He can whatever he wants. But it's going to be hard to go up from here. You know what I'm saying? But this is a nice space. But my heart is this. My prayer for us as a church is that it's not about the falls. It's not about we have really cool marketing and we have a really cool social media account. We have really trendy people. We're not here. Hear it from me first. Our mission is not to be the trendy church. Our mission is not to be the cool church or the young church. Our mission is not to have the biggest events or the most ministries. That's not our mission. Our mission is to preach peace to those who are far and those who are near and to knit them into this thing we call the church. And when you do that, it gets messy. And I invite you to come on the journey. I mean, it's a fun, I, I don't want to do anything else with my life. I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. I, we're, we're young. We are mirroring the young church right now. When you read the book of Acts, I mean, we are, not, we, we are three going on four years old. We're a baby church. We can do things now that we won't be able to do when we're 10, 15, 20 years old. We're flexible now. We can move now. We can do things now. We can, we can be the church. But when you read the book of Acts, it's messy when you're the hands and feet of Jesus. All right? So that's the introduction to the series. Come back next week. We're going to start walking through the book of Acts, believing to learn from the Spirit of God. What does it look like to be a church that is just obsessed with the person of Jesus and his mission and nothing else. Hey, if you're in the room tonight and you're one of those people that are near or far, we're here to preach the gospel. <laughs> we're here to tell you about Jesus. I don't, yeah, well, this needs to be a safe place for those that are near, those that are far, those that feel foreign can come in and hear about this Jesus, the Jesus that died for you, the Jesus that took the penalty of your sin and the weight of your sin bought you forgiveness, but it didn't end there. We celebrated last week that he gets out of the grave. He conquers death. He conquers the power of sin in your life. He sets us free, and he's modeled for us the way to live in freedom, the way to live the way of the kingdom. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you're in the room tonight and you don't know Jesus, maybe you've orbited church really closely. Maybe you have grew up around it, but you never made that personal decision. Or maybe this is the last place you ever thought you'd be. Jesus says, I died for you. I'm the way and the truth and the life for you. And there's more hope and there's more life and there's more freedom and there's more love and there's more grace and there's more mercy for you, no matter your background. If everyone wants to bow, bow their heads, I'm going to pray. The Bible says that to accept the gift of Jesus, to accept the gift of freedom, to accept the gift of forgiveness is just to, to do just that, to accept it. To, to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, I, Jesus died for me. And I believe that. And, and to let him not only become your friend, but become your Lord, become your Savior, and start to live life with him. Join me as I pray. Jesus, I love you, and I need you. I've tried to be the Lord of my own life, and it doesn't work. I've gone my own way, and it doesn't work. Jesus, I need a Savior, and I believe that you died for me, that you rose again for me, that you love me, that you fought for me. 
So Jesus, I say, I believe that you are who you say you are and you did what you say you did. Would you come and and lead me and, and be my Lord, be my Savior and be my friend? In the name of Jesus, amen.